I am Frank Chan, and you are listening to the Magical Coach Podcast. It's the Magical Coach Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Magical Coach Podcast, brought to you by the Larry Bruno Foundation, where our mission is to cultivate a culture in our community to develop student athletics and academic achievements by promoting professional coaching and team building and family development. My name is Steve Higgins. I'm the director of the Larry Bruno Foundation's Hall of Achievement, and I'll be your host. Today's guest is Coach Frank Chan. Coach Chan, a native of East Liverpool, Ohio, earned All-State honors as a high school senior in 1949 in basketball, attended Washington and Jefferson College, who was a captain of his basketball team his senior year. After a stint in the Korean War as a lieutenant in the Army Medical Corps, he returned to finish his college career and start his coaching career. First as an assistant at East Liverpool High School, then as a head coach. He was hired to coach Beaver Falls in 1966. At Beaver Falls, Coach Chan won seven section titles, five WPIL championships, one state championship, and his overall record was 367 wins with only 115 defeats. One of those wins was against the nation's number one ranked team in 1977, the Matha Catholic. Coach Chan, welcome to the podcast today. Well, thanks a lot, Steve. I'm glad to be here this morning. You hail from East Liverpool, Ohio, and Beaver Falls has really benefited from coaches from that area with yourself and Coach Bruno, and many other coaches have come from East Liverpool with Lou Holtz and many others. What was the culture in East Liverpool when you were growing up that might have con- contributed to many good coaches coming from that area? Well, first of all, East Liverpool is a really good uh, sports town. They excel at football, and they basically excelled more in basketball. But I played on the uh, 1947 state runner-up team. I was a, they only picked 10 guys to go on the team when you went to the state finals. And I was the 10th guy on that. I was a young sophomore, and that was really exciting. Now, we were the state runners-up. Now, that's the highest uh, achievement at East Liverpool so far, the state runners-up. But East Liverpool basically excelled at basketball, and they had some really super athletes at that time. So to to be on the team, you had to be a ball player, and you had to have some experience. Coach, in 1966, you got the call to coach the Beaver Falls basketball program. At that time, what was your knowledge of Beaver Falls, the city, and Beaver Falls, the school at that time? I'm glad you asked me that question. You know, uh, a long time ago, in 1948, I came to Beaver Falls. I was president of the uh, uh, situation down in uh, East Liverpool, and we came up for a student council activity. I was the president of student council, so we came to Beaver Falls. And little uh, do people realize that Beaver Falls had lockers for each individual that went to school. And so at East Liverpool, we did not have lockers. And so one of the projects I had, or uh, the student council had, we went back to East Liverpool and we kind of put on a a drive where each person in East Liverpool had their own personal locker, you know, to put their books in, their coat in. But we got that uh, from Beaver Falls. And later on, I came back to Beaver Falls and I saw the Harlem Globetrotters play. That was the original Harlem Globetrotters. And that was very exciting and I really enjoyed Uh, I was standing up. I I, I guess I didn't get a seat at that time, but I was standing up, and I was really amazed at the floor and how nice the gym was. 
But that was very exciting, too. So actually, as far as uh, Beaver Falls, you know, Pete Kincaid and I were very, very good friends. And uh, as you well know, Pete was the coach of Beaver Falls at one time. And so I had a lot of association. Niles Liebendorfer, I don't know, he played basketball for uh, Beaver Falls, and he was at WNJ when I was at WNJ. And so I actually had a lot of contact. And Dom Casey, of course, I think helped me out a lot. Uh, but at one time, uh, the American Legion in Beaver Falls played in Ford City. And uh, at WNJ, we played after the season in tournaments throughout the country. And we were at Ford City at the same time that we played the Legion team. Now, I don't know what you know about the Legion team, but the Legion team didn't want to shoot the ball. You know, they held on to that ball for 15 or 20 passes, and actually they ended up beating us. But at that time, I had contact with Dom Casey, and that sort of carried over. So when the job opened up, I contacted Dom Casey to help me out on this job. Basketball in Beaver Falls flourished in the years after you arrived here. There's no question about that. Was there a master plan that you that you used to organize um, the youth teams when you came in to start preparing them for when they got into high school? Or did the progression of talent just kind of happen on its own? No, when I came to Beaver Falls, I had a definite plan. See, what we did, I think we organized 10 uh, basketball teams that were in the 5th, 6th, and 7th grade. And I got a a bunch of other uh, people throughout the district to sponsor a team. Now, we uh, had that after the season was over so that I was able to uh, closely supervise that. But uh, we had good contact, and we had uh, the superintendents, of course, went along with that. But we started developing in the lower grades, and slow but sure, they started to come together. Because I had heard that John Miller, the uh, great Blackhawk coach, kind of adopted your plan when he came to Blackhawk when been building his program, he uh, it was said that he pulled a lot from from what you did when you got to Beaver Falls. Do you find that to be true? Well, I never examined their program too closely to be truthful with you. You know, uh, Blackhawk, of course, you might say was our deadly enemy. <laughs> you know, when we played the Blackhawk game, it wasn't just an ordinary game. Blackhawk was something special. And of course, when John was there, John was a personal friend of mine. In fact, I gave a couple clinics out there, and I didn't charge any money either. And I talked to the kids in Blackhawk, and I talked to their girls' basketball team also at Blackhawk at that time. And at one time, uh, I had a chance, really, I had some people question me uh, if I would be interested in coaching the Blackhawk basketball team. And I said, no, I'm coaching the Beaver Falls basketball team. Were there any coaches or teachers that influenced your style of coaching that contributed to your great success at Beaver Falls? Well, I, I don't know. I don't think anybody really uh, went. See, uh, I coached, uh, we played, I played a lot of basketball in the Army also, and I had a lot of chances, you know, to participate and develop ideas that I had. I basically like to press a lot because I think the more you're aggressive, especially in the beginning of the game, it takes the fear, uh, especially when you're playing away from home. It makes you the uh, dominant team once you're their aggressor. And if someone presses you, you have to press them. Now, the people that really influenced me was those people that coached in Section 3. When you played in Section 3, if you didn't really develop a fine style of coaching, an aggressive player, you didn't win too many games. Now, I'm talking about Ed McCluskey, of course, undoubtedly the greatest coach in uh, Pennsylvania, in my opinion. But when you coached against him, see, that was two sure losses. When you coach against Sharon, that was two sure losses. 
when he coached against the Aliquippa team, Janicek was there, or I guess he coached Ambridge, but that was two sure losses. So basically, when I started out at Beaver Falls, when you looked at the schedule, you're looking at eight sure losses. And it took a long time. And then the thing that you want to understand in Section 3, if you won Section 3, I kind of, of course, as you know, I taught math. There was a 45% chance if you won Section 3 at that time, you had a chance to win the state title. If you go back and examine that, now, of course, a lot of that uh, evolves around Farrell uh, with McCluskey winning all those uh, championships. But, uh, you know, we had uh, Sharon... Uh, we beat Sharon by one uh, basket. Uh, Kenny Wagner made a winning basket that uh, rolled around on the rim at that time. And I said, please, Lord, let that thing go in. And we <laughs> won by one point, And that's the year we won the, si the title. The next year, Sharon won the state title. But if you look at Section 3, what you're looking at is the state championship in basketball through the state of Pennsylvania. And so you're playing that team twice a year. Uh, you know, I had the honor to play against the, the Ambridge, the great Ambridge team at that time. We played against the great uh, Midland team at that time. Now, I'm talking about the first four years that I came here. And uh, what you're looking at are people that can play basketball and win championships. But if you look at that schedule uh, at Beaver Falls and the other coaches that coach here, not just me, you're looking at going up against the top teams in the state. At that time... The only team that qualified to play for the state was the team that won the section. Now, uh, to be truthful with you, I had some teams that really developed later in the year, but we didn't win the section. And, of course, if you don't win the section, you get, didn't get to participate. Now, I think uh, later on they, they let everybody play at that time uh, in the state tournament. Yeah, boy, what a tough section that was. I remember uh, attending those games as a youth and, Wow, that was uh, quite a section that you guys had back then. Winning the state title in 1970 was probably the biggest event that ever happened to Beaver Falls High School up to that time, and actually one of the biggest things that ever happened in the city of Beaver Falls. Can you talk a little bit about the 1970 season and maybe how things changed for you after that season, winning that championship? Well, uh, to be truthful with you, that was really a great team. And, you know, um, sometimes you run back because a lot of people want to ask you the question, who do you think was the greatest player you ever coached? And I'll tell you what, that is really a tough question when you coach a lot of great players. And now I'm not going to name any name. But a lot of times when I start to evolve back along that, who was the greatest player I ever coached, a lot of the names that come up, even though I've taught some really great players, a lot of the names that come up is on that 70 team. Uh, you know, like Kenny Wagner. Now, I don't know what people know about Kenny Wagner. He ended up getting a scholarship and went to Pitt University. Now, he's never been inducted at any Hall of Fame. But when someone, not when someone, when I think who might be the greatest guard I ever coached, and I start, I've coached some great ones. And that Kenny Wagner's name keeps coming up. Now, another one on that team is Al Hamil. Al Hamil was a super-duper athlete. He was an aggressive player, and he really did a fine job. And Al Hamil is not in any Hall of Fames either, and he was a super player. Now, Al uh, was somewhere around 6'3", 6'4". He wasn't very tall, and uh, he made a couple um, all-star teams at the end of the season. Now, when you play on an all-star team and you really have some great players, 
you've got some guys six foot eight, six foot nine. Now they made Al Hamil a guard on that team. Now Al Hamil <laughs> didn't know anything about playing a guard, and of course running around there kind of loose. Uh, you know, it was a guy called Oscar Jackson, <laughs> and Oscar was a uh, him and his family were cr uh, terrific people. I'm telling you. Uh, they didn't come around and say, hey, my kid ought to be playing. And I taught those guys at the beginning of the season, the only way you play at Beaver Falls first team or get to fill in is during practice. Practice is when you prove whether you can play or can't play. Uh, what happened was in one game in Midland, a certain individual sort of got hurt in Midland. And I had to put in a player. And it's funny um, – when you're sitting on that bench, you don't have time to show what you can do until you get on that floor. And I had a kid sitting there named Gary Gooseby. And when I put Gary in that game and the team started to play, my head clicked around and said, that's the piece of the puzzle that we need. Gary Gooseby, I think, was like five foot six, five foot seven, maybe five foot eight. I saw a picture of him. I had some old newspapers and I was really surprised at how athletic his body was. But Gary Gooseby was the point guard on that team, and everything came together. So uh, going back and looking at all those players, and you start to say, well, hey, who's the greatest player? A lot of those names pop up. They might not have been the greatest players, but they played together. And I remember one time that Kenny Wagner said, we had a practice, and of course we were doing real, real good, and it was on a Saturday. Of course, we played Friday night and won the ball game. And he said to his dad, Dad, did we win or lose last night? You know, one practice was just like any other practice, except uh, those guys practiced very hard and they played real hard. And uh, not one of them, uh, you know, like Oscar, I think, shot the ball a few more times than the other guys, but never was there a complaint about who shot what, is whether we won or lost and things of that type. What other teams stand out as being very talented, teams at Beaver Falls that you coached, and maybe some other players that weren't on the 1970 team do any other players stand out um, in your memory as being exceptional? When we had the 70 team and we got into the WPIAL and the state finals, we did not have any injuries. That team stayed healthy the whole time that I had them. Now, I think Camille, uh, we sprained, a, or he had a hip trouble, but that was in the midseason. But once the drive started, we never had anyone that got hurt. Now, I had a lot of chances, I think, to win the state title. And in those drives towards the state title, we had a guy named Bay Grant. Bay Grant was a terrific player, and we were playing Erie Prep. Now, I'm not the kind of guy that goes back and studies this stuff, so I'm kind of going off the top of my head. But Grant got hurt at halftime. Now, when he got hurt at halftime, I spent the whole uh, halftime talking to him and, of course, we ended up getting beat pretty uh, solidly. But that was a great team. That team possibly could have been one of the best teams, I think, that I had. But uh, the minute we lost Grant, we got hurt. So I had another good team. And when we were going for the playoffs in the WPIL, again, Damon Bryant. Now, what happened to Damon Bryant? Damon Bryant sprained his ankle about two weeks before the WPIL championship game. Well, I spent a lot of time with Damon Bryant, taking him to the doctor, I already knew how to tape ankles, but I watched these guys tape, and we went to the WPIL. I'm the one that caused us to lose that WPIL championship. Damon, I was going to tape his ankle. At that time, we had a trainer, and the trainer came in and said, Frank, that's my job. And I said, no, 
I'm going to tape this ankle. I've been to the doctor with him. You haven't. I'm going to tape it. We're in. We're getting ready to go onto the floor in Pittsburgh. And I said, well, go ahead and tape it then if you want to. And so I let him tape that ankle. Damon Bryant, of course, made all state. Probably one of the greatest players I've had. Damon Bryant played 25 seconds in that game. Uh, when he played 25 seconds, he re-hurt his ankle. I took him out and I told the trainer, go back and retape it. And he said, no, it won't do any good. How many times have you seen the pros take those guys in and retape them? And they come out and they play. Okay, when I changed the uh, check, uh, Damon, at the end of the game, there wasn't any tape used that adheres your, the tape to your body. So that's why the tape slipped. If I would have taped that, uh, it's called tough skin that you spray on there. I would have sprayed that tough skin, and that thing would not have slipped. Now, what I'm bringing this up for, Damon Bryant, the number one player maybe that I've ever had, played 25 seconds. I think we lost a box chapel by one or two points. He sat on the bench next to me. So there's another case where I had two star athletes get hurt during the championship game. So I had a very nice team that had Frank Mazalewski on it. That was a very, very ordinary team. And at the end of the season, Frank, of course, was six foot four. At that time, I used to keep stats all the time. Well, I, keep, I quit keeping stats on that because Frank shot like 30 or 40 times a game. Of course, one time I told him we got beat at Beaver Falls, and we were going down, and uh, he was sitting there. I said, you know, Frank, if I was big as you, I said, uh, I would have had 20 rebounds in that game and at least 20 points. And he said, I had 24 rebounds and 26 points. <laughs> <laughs> so but that team developed into a really good basketball team. Now, that was at the end of the season. Uh, and again, I think that was some ordinary players that came together, and that was an excellent team. Another good team that I had, um, we had Kenny Estelle. Kenny Estelle, I think, sort of somehow got mad at me for some reason. I think one game, Kenny Estelle, well, we ended up getting beat. I think he scored like 30-some points a game. And the next game, he only scored two or three. And I think the reason he got mad at me is early in the second uh, quarter, he ended up getting three fouls on him, and I took him out. And that was a team. I think that team, uh, they won the WPIL. That was the first year they let all the teams in Pennsylvania play. And I think that team was like 25 and 12. And that team came along and did a super job. Uh, Kenny Estelle, would, uh, in fact, I kind of talked Kenny. I was hoping he would become a coach. And I talked to him about coaching, and uh, he never did become a coach. I just saw him not too long ago, and he's doing excellent. I think he's got uh, four or five children right now. So, but Kenny was a, a really good basketball player. And Kevin Estelle was one of those guys uh, that you saw on the bench. I think I put him in a game in Pittsburgh. And, of course, he was sitting on the bench. And when I put him in the game, he really played well. But what I'm pointing that out is there's a lot of people sitting on the bench that don't get a chance to get into the game to show that what they, what they can do. Uh, I can't remember this kid's name right now. I'm going to say Johnson. We were playing in Meadville, and we, we always played in the Meadville tournament. And I should recall his name. I should have looked it up. I didn't know you are going to ask me this question. But what happened was Meadville was going to beat us. There was no doubt in my mind this game was over. It was late in the fourth quarter with maybe four or five minutes to play. We had about six inches of snow. His parents were sitting right behind me. 
And I said, holy cow, his parents came up to see that kid play. And I says, uh, we're going to lose this game anyhow. I says, I'm going to put him in the game. Now, I'm talking to myself, of course. <laughs> so I put him in the game. The minute I put him in the game, the complexion of that game changed with like four and a half minutes ago, and we won that game going away. And the only reason I put him in there, and I'm telling the truth, his parents were sitting behind me, and there was six inches of snow on the ground at Meadville, and we were definitely going to lose, and I put him in the game. So how many guys have been sitting in the, in the bench, and if you get a chance to play and show what you can do, like Gary Goosby and a lot of other guys come off that bench, and you think they can't play, but when they get their chance, something happens in a game that doesn't happen in practice. And I'll tell you what, it's amazing. It makes you really wonder who should be playing out there. Coach, when you talk about Beaver Falls' history of the basketball program, people say, and they still say this today, that Frank Chan raised the bar to a certain level of expectations that actually led to Beaver Falls becoming the basketball power that it is today. Do you agree with that? Well, you know what happened when I came to Beaver Falls? Um, it was basically a football town, as you know that. I think the whole time that I coached at Beaver Falls, I coached at Beaver Falls approximately 25 years. I think I only ever had one quarterback play for me. But at that time, you know, you had to really develop your players to compete. Now, I didn't compete really a good football, so don't get me wrong there because I'm all for football. My wife, Joanne, her brother-in-law played football, and he went on to West Point, and he became a three-star general. So football was not it. I think when you uh, raise the level, what you're doing, you have to put a lot of pri- – uh, you know, you're playing in Section 3, and you have to compete. And I think that's what uh, – you know, I had a chance to compete because I didn't get fired, luckily. <laughs> you know, I made it through the first three seasons that I didn't do too good. And then the fourth season, of course, we won the state title. But then what happened is the, turn, the town turned around and they wanted to have another championship. And we had a lot of chances. And don't get me wrong, to win the state title, you have to have some breaks go your way. And if you think you don't, you're wrong. Because uh, there's a lot of things that happen in a game that maybe three or four uh, incidents happen. If they go your way, you win. I remember one time we were playing at Farrell. And, of course, Eddie McCluskey was sitting not too far away from me. And we were sitting on the sideline, as you know. And there was a charging foul directly against us in front of the bench. And I said, how could you have a charging foul not near, even near the basket? But we had a charging foul. But those are some of the queer things that happen. And that charging foul turns the ball over to them. And uh, if those three or four little incidents happen, and what you have to do is have your team ready to take advantage of those charge, uh, those incidents that come up during the game. Now, as far as raising the bar, what you're talking about is you're talking about Farrell, Aliquippa, Sharon, Ambridge, and you're talking about competing. And when you have to compete, slow but sure, things have to get better. Consequently, we had a lot of players then start to come out for basketball, and I ran a pretty good summer program league also, and I never did too much coaching in the summertime, to be truthful. All I did was open a gym and let the kids play. Now, one of the things I did uh, teach them, when they did play, we played winner stayed up. If you competed against a group and you won, you played the next game. Now, you're saying, well, that's not such a big deal, but what it does, it 
teaches you to compete. If you want to play a little more basketball, you have to beat that team you're playing for. Now, of course, then the players started to develop that idea also. And so they started to compete, I think, a little bit harder with the basic idea. As I said, when I first came to Beaver Falls in the first few years I was here, uh, when we would play home or away, I was just hoping that the team looked halfway decent. Now, as the next year went on, then we played away from home. Then I got the idea in my head that maybe we had a chance to win. You know, before, to me, it was a sure loss. And now as the years went on, then the idea uh, occurred. Instead of saying maybe we could win, the thing changed around, we should win. And then what you want to really understand, you know, you got the, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. Now, the thrill of victory, I think, occurs when you first start coaching. Now, when you're coaching, you're after that victory. So you're after that thrill of victory. Now, I think the more that you coach, what happens then, and I've thought about this fairly often, the agony of defeat becomes greater than the thrill of victory. Now, that means that when you go out and compete, you must win. And when you lose, it hurts. And, of course, when it hurts more than winnings, that's when it comes time, I think, to let someone else have a chance at the job. Coach, the last question I have for you today. You've been such a positive role model for so many years in Beaver Falls and the surrounding community. What message could you give young coaches today and young players that are competing today in the sport of basketball? I, th- I think the message would you, uh, you want to be careful on how you talk to uh, children today. Uh, sometimes maybe you say the wrong thing at the wrong time, at the wrong place, and that wrong thing uh, you're thinking one thing, but the, the child's thinking another thing. So you have to be encouraging no matter what the situation might be. One of the things that we did at Beaver Falls, I don't know if too many people really realize it, uh, but, you know, I gave the team on Thursday night. We played on Friday. We always had a pint of ice cream on Thursday night uh, from the Boosters Club. And we only practiced for one hour on Thursday. The game was on Friday. Okay, so... Uh, they would run down to the locker room, and then they would get together uh, eating their ice cream. And then on Saturday, we had Orm's Donuts, and then we had orange juice, and we always had apples and uh, oranges around for people to eat. You know, uh, one time I saw a kid taking an orange home, and I said, gee, he shouldn't be taking that orange home. And then it dawned on me that maybe he was hungry, and then that made a complete difference. So as we did all these things together— uh, we were down in the locker room. A lot of times I wondered if they were going to go home because we were getting together. And you have to, you know, you have to encourage kids. You never know who you're talking to. That's what I said. Be careful when you're talking to people. I don't care who you are, how old you are, or what you're doing. You don't understand who you're talking to. Uh, kids are talking to their dads. Their dads are talking to their kids or children. You must be careful what you say because you don't realize what effect some words have on some people. And again, that effect carries for the rest of their lives. And once I think you ingrain something and somebody likes you, if you, if the team likes you, that stays with them. Now, you can almost do anything when the team's with you. But again, that's because that's been conditioning. You know, before I had any practice, we always sit down at the beginning of practice and went over what was expected during the practice and after the practice. And, of course, we always 
had a good time. You know, a lot of the guys went out and they laughed and joked. Of course, it's easy to laugh and joke when you're winning. But again, you have to uh, remember uh, you can't win every game. And losing is part of our life. You know, you don't win everything and you don't lose everything. And so you have to put things in perspective. <clears throat> and I had a chance at Beaver Falls because uh, Beaver Falls is a great, great sports town. You know, if you look at all the athletes that came from Beaver Falls, it's grained in to the students in Beaver Falls that if you're an athlete, you want to be a great athlete because Beaver Falls, I'm going to say we at Beaver Falls, I've been here for 25, 26 years. We at Beaver Falls feel we have the best athletes in the whole area. And when you play another team, I'm talking about Farrell now, Aliquippa, Sharon, Midland, they respect Beaver Falls, and when Beaver Falls steps up on the floor, they're the ones that shiver and shake and say, man, I hope I can just compete. In fact, we played one team from Pittsburgh, and I talked to the coach, and I said to him, I said, look, I said, don't get excited during this game because I've got a very good team. And I said, if something happens during this game, I said, don't get excited. Uh, so the game started out, I think we were ahead 16 to nothing, and I called the press off, and the next thing I know, he was standing at midcourt. This is a true story. He was standing at midcourt and had his shoes off with his shoes and hands above his head, and the game was going on. And I called timeout, and I said, I told you, <laughs> don't get excited. <laughs> but again, when you're talking to people, you know, like I said, I think the more you encourage people, uh, like, uh, but again, I go back to the same story. You have to prove and practice whether you're going to make that first team. You know, you don't make it by sitting on a bench or complaining or yelling. You prove it on demonstration on what you can do. But you have to be careful when you're talking to be, uh, with kids because, as I said, reiterated, when I pull that kid off the bench, you never know how great he's going to play. And he steps out on that floor and he must become an Oscar Jackson. You never know what he's going to do because maybe he wasn't given a chance. Coach, that's great stuff. It really is. Um, I want to thank you for spending time with us this morning. It's been great uh, spending time with you. Well, I'm glad you invited me down. And, you know, the Hall of Achievement, I think, is a big thing because, you know, <clears throat> it's called achievement. And I think that's the big thing. It's not just athletic uh, that this Hall of Fame is. It's also what you do in school that counts or what you do outside of school counts. So the Hall of Achievement, I think, is doing a good job for everyone in Beaver County. Well, thank you for recognizing that, Coach. Thank you. And thank everyone else for being with us today on our podcast. If you want to learn more about the Larry Bruno Foundation, please visit our website at themagicalcoach.org. Thank you very much. But I'm going to be back again and again, and I promise you the next time I'm back, I'll be here in the library more than I was in the past, I might say. Thank you. You are listening to a production of the Social Voice Podcast Network.